In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Welcome to the Brian Rue Show. It's January the 12th, 2018. My guest is Jim Fetzer, Professor Emeritus from the University of Duluth, Minnesota. We're going to talk about a Sandy Hook update. Tracy losses, Wolfgang wins, the deep state strikes back. So you've got some up-to-date information for us, Jim. Looking forward to this. I do indeed, Brian. And uh, James Tracy is the uh, faculty member at Florida Atlantic University who has lost his case against Florida Atlantic for termination. Uh, they uh, brought a suit against him on the technical grounds that he hadn't signed some forms about his outside activities. But after 35 years in higher education, I can assure you this was completely absurd. There was even an article in the Higher Chronicle of Higher Education making the key point uh, uh, this month, Florida Atlantic University fired a tenured professor of communication named James F. Tr- F. Tracy, citing his failure to file routine paperwork. This fact is both technically true and essentially false. Tracy was actually fired for bringing shame and embarrassment upon his university by publicly and vocally insisting that the massacre of 21st graders and six educators at Sandy Hook Elementary School in December 2012 did not occur. Well, that's absolutely right. But in court, where the judge uh, uh, ruled that his outside blogging activity about Sandy Hook and other matters was his own personal right, had nothing to do with his school activities, was argued by the university to have had nothing to do with it. And alas, sad to say, the jurors agreed We have an article that recently appeared now. Fortunately, James Tracy gave Florida Atlantic a reason to fire him, but what if he hadn't? What if Tracy had posted goofy, offensive conspiracy theories on his blog while complying with rules about outside activity by professors? Under that scenario, it would have been tough, if not impossible, to fire Tracy. Now, the fact of the matter is that Tracy was merely seeking to inquire as to whether one of the a purported fathers of a Sandy Hook victim, a, a fellow by the name of Lenny Posner, about whom you will hear much more, actually had a copyright to photographs of his his alleged son, Noah, who is supposed to have been one of the victims. Uh, Lenny, for reasons that are going to become increasingly clear, took this as the occasion for an aggressive atta- attack on James Tracy, 
there were many articles published in the the Sun Sentinel, the Jewish Journal Forward, and other venues in South Florida attacking Tracy, which led the university to become uh, motivated, particularly by you know, alumni and financial supporters to find a reason to sack him. It was all very devious. But the fact is that the author here hasn't done his homework because there was nothing goofy or offensive about his, what he was doing on his blog. In fact, here's an example. He, he discovered that Francine Wheeler, who played the role of one of the dead children, Ben Wheeler, actually turns out to have been the personal assistant to the DNC National Finance Chairman. Isn't that a remarkable coincidence? Where... Uh, 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 White, Maureen White, was a DNC star campaigner raising $51 million in 2005 alone. She then served as senior advisor on humanitarian issues in Afghanistan and Pakistan and under Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. This is uh, 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 makes sense when you realize that gun control was a big Democratic issue. Turns out her husband, yeah. David, actually played two roles at Sandy Hook, Brian. He was not only a grieving father, you see him on the right, but he played a, a SWAT team member walking up and down Dickinson Drive. Which oh, is my like gosh. Carrying a weapon <laughs> upside down by the magazine, Brian. They ran out of actors. They need to hire him for two roles. It's absurd, <laughs> isn't it? And as a former series commander at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego, where I had 300 recruits and 15 drill instructors under my command, including marksmanship training, I can assure you that the lowest-ranking recruit would not have carried a weapon upside down by the magazine, as does David Wheeler here. So when the argument has been wow. made that this was supposed to be someone who bore a faint resemblance who was an FBI agent, it's dismissible on that grounds. No one trained with firearms would have done something this stupid. We have a loss with James Tracy, but we have a win with Wolfgang Helger. Uh, 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 Wolfgang was being very aggressive in pursuing Sandy Hook. Here's a story about Wolf, Brian. He's a former Connecticut State Trooper. He's a former U.S. Customs Agency. He's a former school administrator up to and including principal. He's also a nationally recognized school safety expert. He began looking into Sandy Hook because he wanted to find out what had happened so he could advise other stool boards on what measures to take in order to be sure it didn't happen to them. But he found that his FOIA requests were going unanswered, his phone calls weren't being returned. Before he knew it, there were two detectives from the local uh, 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 homicide branch on his doorstep in a gated community in Florida, oh. stating they were there on behalf of the Connecticut State Police. And if he continued to pursue Sandy Hook, he would be prosecuted. This is fairly stunning stuff. Wow. Brian. It was the wrong thing to say to Wolfgang. He dug in his heels. He became more wow. persevering. It turns out that he would be sued uh, by this very same person, uh, Lenny Posner, uh, which uh, for, for, again, you know, violations of his privacy in this case because he had published information about his address uh, and so forth in, in legal documents where Wolf hadn't even noticed. But Wolfgang went to court. They had a couple of preliminary hearings where Lenny didn't even show up. And the judge, therefore, gave him the right of discovery. 
Well, uh, Wolfgang got a very good attorney. They had a new judge assigned to the case who knew what he was doing, who directed Lenny Posner to sit down for a video deposition in accordance with the court's prior instructions. And Lenny, at the latest possible date at 4.59 p.m. Eastern time, dropped the lawsuit. So we have this remarkable outcome. In a startling move, the father of Noah Posner, an alleged Sandy Hook victim, has dropped his civil lawsuit against investigator and school security expert Wolfgang Halbig, just as Leonard Posner was about to have to provide a video deposition in the case. Appearing on Northwest Liberty News, Halbig said that despite the lawsuit being dropped, he would continue to pursue obtaining information via a counter-lawsuit at the very point in the case where Leonard Posner was supposed to present a video deposition, Halbig said that Posner, through his attorney, dropped the suit. And, of course, it was going to be very embarrassing. Now, on this occasion, we were invited by John B. Wells to appear on Caravan to Midnight, where you no doubt know John used to be on Coast to Coast. But he had a, a conflict with George Norrie and created his own nationwide program. Well, here it was a three-and-a-half-hour show where Wolfgang was on the first hour and I was on the second and third. And during the first hour, Wolfgang mentioned how he had a photograph of eight of the Sandy Hook girls all grown up. And uh, Wolf didn't have the, the photograph available then. It turns out that the Caravan to Midnight is both an audio and a video. So when I prepared a set of slides for the video presentation, I included this is the photograph that Wolf was talking about. Here, uh, notice you have the pictures of the little girls across the top as the, as the alleged Sandy Hook victims, and then here you have them all grown up, which rather strongly suggests that they didn't die on 14 <laughs> December uh, 2012, Brian. Yeah, yes. Not only that, but we have done work on Noah Posner, the son, purported son of Lenny, where Kelly Watt, who had over 100 hours of conversation with Lenny, who told him she didn't believe a word he said, didn't believe he had a son, didn't believe he died, where Lenny inadvisedly sent her a death certificate, which we shall examine momentarily, that turned out to be a fabrication. But Kelly also noticed there was a striking resemblance between Noah in the upper left and the fellow who is supposed to be his older stepbrother, Michael Vabner. So she showed the photographs of the two to friends of hers. They said, oh, yeah, that looks like the same person, all grown up. Or alternatively, of course, that Noah was actually made out of photographs of Michael Vabner when he was young. So we undertook a very thorough examination of this issue. There were like, uh, six of us involved, and it culminated with a superposition by Larry Rovira, with whom I've done so much work on JFK, where he was able to establish conclusively that Noah Posner was indeed Michael Vabner. So just uh -huh. like the eight girls from Sandy Hook, we have proof that here yet another child from Sandy Hook wasn't a victim at all, but was a fiction made out of photographs of his, in this case, alleged older stepbrother that then became, you know, has now blown the case apart. So it's really fascinating what's happened here. Yeah. I, I yeah. admire Wolfgang's perseverance. It is, by the way, a principle of the law 
that fraud vitiates everything it touches. Fraud destroys the validity of everything into which it enters. Fraud vitiates the most solemn contracts, documents, and even judgments. So we already have proof of fraud in the Sandy Hook because the kids didn't actually die. They didn't even exist. They were actually fabrications out of photographs of older kids when they were younger. Wow. I want to recognize William Shanley, who fought the good fight. Shanley was a, a film producer, director, a, a very uh, strong and courageous man who made many issues pursuing uh, truth and justice for Sandy Hook, including, and this is quite fascinating, filing a, a trillion-dollar lawsuit uh, against the media. Uh, William Shanley, the plaintiff, in a multi-billion-dollar lawsuit against members of the mainstream news media who he alleged to have been involved in a mammoth cover-up with the U.S. government in connection with the apparent staging of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shootings, has been released from jail and charges against him dropped. Shanley, along with researchers Jim Fetzer, Ph.D., and Wolfgang Halbig, a retired Florida state trooper and school administrator, have been relentlessly studying the anomalies and inconsistencies in the Sandy Hook story for two years. They have found remarkable flaws in the government's official story and alleged complicity by members of the media in, in perpetuating what appears to be a false narrative of events. Now, this was originally published by the Fort Fairfield Journal on March 4th, 2015, Brian. But because Shanley has recently died now, and because the deep state is coming into my blog and removing blogs and images of the very kind I just showed you, of, of Noah Posner turning into Michael Vabner, uh, that uh, Noah was a fiction created of photos of Michael Vabner, I'm recognizing him in a new series of blogs. This, of course, announces the trillion-dollar lawsuit he filed. In another shocking twist in the Sandy Hook saga, filmmaker and author William Brandon Shanley launches wave of lawsuits for more than a trillion against big media over Sandy Hook massacre coverage. And in one of the articles published, he talks about inadequacies in the formal, the official report of the state's attorney uh, for Danbury, Stephen Sedinsky, about the Sandy Hook event which is hopelessly inadequate, Brian. Uh, it, at this point in time, it's relatively easy uh, to demonstrate that the official report on Sandy Hook, authored by Dansbury State's attorney Steven Zedensky, does not establish a causal nexus between the shooter, his victims, and the weapons he is alleged to have used. It suffers from the shortcomings of concluding that there were no fingerprints on the 22 caliber rifle allegedly used to shoot his mother, and even more surprisingly, that of the large number of shots that were fired from the 5.56 caliber Bushmaster, close to 150 rounds, none of the bullet fragments could be matched to the weapon. Oh, Here, gosh. Isn't that something, Brian? Gosh. Here's a key gosh. footnote buried in a footnote 53. No positive identification could be made to any of the bullet evidence submissions noted in 5.56 millimeter caliber. The physical condition of the bullet jacket surfaces were severely damaged and corroded. They all lacked individual styrated marks of sufficient agreement for the identification process. The test fires also exhibited a lock of individual styrated marks on the bullet surface for comparison purposes. This condition can be caused by fouling in the barrel of the rifle and the ammunition itself. 
The Bush ambassador cannot be eliminated as having fired the weapon, but it couldn't be shown to have fired them. Under these circumstances, it would have been impossible for the alleged shooter, Adam Lanza, to have been convicted in a properly conducted court of law for his alleged offense, because no causal nexus has been established between the purported shooter, his weapons, and the 20 children and seven adults he's supposed to have killed, which one might have naively supposed there was, a point, was the point of the investigation. But if that was its goal, then its objective was not achieved. If there has ever been such an abysmal failure in the annals of forensic investigation, I would love to hear about it. This is absurd. So you never could have been convicted in a court of law for murder. That's right, because you couldn't have <laughs> tied him to the weapons or to the victims. It, they didn't establish the causal nexus. Now, some have insisted that if you're going to dispute the, uh, the official narrative of Sandy Hook, you have to have uh, extraordinary evidence. I think that's a misunderstanding of the concept, but it bears the following response. Uh, that the final report from Connecticut authorities does not include the names, the ages, or the sex of the alleged victims of the shooting. That is extraordinary. That the clerk of Newtown entered into secret negotiation with the state legislature to avoid releasing their death certificates. That is extraordinary. extraordinary. <laughs> That Connecticut State's attorney, Stephen Sedinsky, opposed the release of the 911 calls and had to be denied withholding them by the court. That is, that is extraordinary. extraordinary. <laughs> no, that a special panel of the state legislature recommended state employees who released information about some Sandy Hook should be subjected to an e-fallity. That is extraordinary. That those who were involved in the demolition of the school building itself were required to sign lifetime gag orders about anything they saw or did not see. That is extraordinary. It is all extraordinary. What good reason could there possibly be to withhold the names, ages, and sex of the deceased from the final reports about this child massacre? The claim was made that it was to spare the feelings of their parents, but think about it. Their parents already knew they were dead. Ridiculous. Yeah. It is. And it turns out that Lenny Posner, as I mentioned, sent Kelly Walk a death certificate that was a fabrication. You'll notice a difference in texture uh, for the bottom half versus the top. It's the bottom half of a real death certificate combined with the top half of a fake. Notice there's not even a file number at the top, and it gives a wrong estimated time of death at 11 a.m., when the shooting took place ostensibly between 9.30 and 9.35. Needless to add, if Lenny Posner actually had a son, Noah, who had really died, he would have been able to send Kelly a real death certificate, not a fake one. Now, there's a great deal going on here, as I mentioned, that my blog has been attacked again and again. I have a particularly valuable blog entitled Exposing the Sandy Hook Charade, The Deep State Strikes Back Again. Note, the deep state has deleted this blog again and several others, including my memorial to William Shanley, so I am republishing it again. The images that are repeatedly deleted include the stage photo taken by Shannon Hicks and Noah Posner turning into Michael Wagner. Since my blog has been attacked repeatedly, is it possible that those involved are persons who participated in the fabricated Sandy Hook event from the beginning? Could it be that one of the alleged parents could be doing this? Is it possible that they are working for the deep state? One such candidate would be Lenny Posner, who even sent a fabricated death certificate to Kelly Watt, 
which I included in Nobody Died at Sandy Hook 2015, which was banned by Amazon.com within a month of its going on sale, Brian, oh, even though it oh. had sold nearly 500 copies because it blows the whole case apart. Wow. Ben. 13 contributors, including six PhD current or retired college professors. You can download the book for free as a PDF by entering its title in your browser. Now, among the points I make in these more recent is that why would a, the poor grieving father of a Sandy Hook victim own 26 websites dedicated to harassing people? I mean, what? this is, yes, wow. 26 websites. What's he doing? Wow. He, he's going about very systematically attacking people who are doing research on Sandy Hook and bringing complaints about him for copyright wow. violations and other fabricated excuses tends to suggest there might be something to my surmise that he may be the party involved. Now, Tony Mead has also observed that it, 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 this was published back in 2014. Close to 19 months have passed since the event known as the Sandy Hook Massacre transpired. Amazingly, there has still been no conclusive evidence put forth by any of the families affected or the investigators involved to dispel the many conspiracy theories that have evolved from the event. In fact, new mysteries seem to expose themselves even more as time passes by. And he talks about a, a, a dozen or more who have either disappeared, retired, died mysteriously. Here's the most recent. Lawyer investigating Sandy Hook shooting found dead. Gunshot to the back of the head in wow. an overturned car. Wow. And this was published on 10 July 2017, Brian. Gosh, that's not long ago. Right. So the beat is continuing. A lawyer who was investigating the Sandy Hook shooting was found dead in his overturned car. Gosh. Police ruled Guxa Abram Abe Nabella's death as a suicide despite a gunshot wound to the back of the head and footprints on his back. A suicide? Isn't Ridiculous. that something? This reminds Gosh. me of the Henry Marshall, who was a Department of Agriculture inspector who came to Texas to investigate uh, claims uh, uh, by Billy Saul Estes about alleged cotton allotments for which he got huge loans from the Department of Agriculture. He was found uh, dead, a shot five times with a single-shot bolt-action rifle. Wow. He, he had been rendered unconscious by a blow to the head and had carbon monoxide in his lungs. But in the, the, the justice of the peace declared that, too, to be a suicide crime. That's ridiculous. Five shots. Five shots with a single shot weapon. And now here, five years after the Sandy Hook shooting, the state police have yet to release a report on their response. This was published by a reporter for the Hartford Courant, which is the largest newspaper in Connecticut. And guess what? As we're going to discover, they released their report just today because of which I thought it was particularly appropriate that we should bring in, uh, the world up to date on research on Sandy Hook. Good timing, yeah. Absolutely. So let's go back uh, to the scene of the crime. The day of the shooting, the governor, Daniel Malloy, standing beside the lieutenant governor, uh, explained that he and the lieutenant governor had been spoken to that something like this might happen. That got me thinking. Uh, spoken to by who? Something like this? What yeah. could he possibly mean? There really are only two alternatives, Brian. 
that he had been warned that someone might go berserk and come into a Connecticut public school and shoot up a bunch of kids, in which case he obviously had the obligation to warn the school systems to take precautions to ensure it didn't happen, which he did not do, or alternatively, he'd been informed they were going to take an abandoned school, conduct a drill, and present it as a real event to promote gun control, which is exactly what happened. And when I looked into by whom he might have been warned, I discovered that Reuters on the 27th had reported that uh, none other than Attorney General Eric Holder was going to meet with the governor that very day to discuss the plans of the Obama administration, especially an initiative known as Project Longevity. That'll send new federal grant money to Connecticut and involve agents, academics, social workers, for and with the FBI and U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, a statewide approach uh, targeting repeat criminals, alternatives for potential grant gang members, and rallying neighborhoods against violence. But I have no doubt this is the occasion on which and by whom the governor was spoken to that something like this might happen. And if you go back, we find in, in 1995, Eric Holder addressed addressed a National Democratic Women's Conference in Washington, D.C. And during this conference, Brian, he talked about the importance of changing the attitude of the public toward gun control. He said, we have to brainwash them to change their attitude. And I dare say it appears that the Sandy Hook event was precisely a, a, a carefully crafted event intended to alter the attitude of the public toward gun control. Yeah, it's not working. Now, the very day, the medical examiner, one H. Wayne Carver, came up and gave a very, very odd press conference. He was vague when he should have been specific. He talked about having conducted autopsies on on all the kids, but he didn't know how many were boys, how many were girls. When he would ask about their how many times they'd been shot, he said three to 11 times. Let me say, frankly, that's simply absurd. Three to 11 times. Yeah. Uh, he also mentioned in passing, one of the oddities was he said he hoped this didn't come crashing down on the people of Newtown. Now, <laughs> James Tracy, who was in the Department of Communications and Media at Florida Atlantic, picked up on Carver's press conference and and wrote a published, a brilliant article, one of the first scholarly studies about Sandy Hook in his blog, raising questions about the press conference and its very many peculiarities. It was during the press conference, by the way, that Lieutenant Paul Vance of the Connecticut State Police threatened threatened that anyone who published or talked about an alternative to the official account would be prosecuted. And, of course, that was the mantra that led to the homicide detectives being on the steps of the porch of Wolfgang Halbig and his gated community in Florida. I've done a piece, an expose on Wayne Carver, uh, entitled Sandy Hook, starring Wayne Carver as the medical examiner you can find online. No one who reviews this video is going to have any doubt about whether this was real or uh, an elaborate staged event. I want to ask, what about freedom of speech? Don't people have the freedom to express their view on Sandy Hook without getting charged? Well, of course, Brian. The whole thing is completely ridiculous, okay? Yeah. Now, it turns out that when I published the book uh, in 2015, 
which went on sale on the 22nd of October uh, and then was banned on 19 November. Uh, we had two chapters, each of which had 50 photographs. One, 50 photographs of the furnishing of an empty house to serve as the Adam Lawns of Residence. I'll have a key image for you from that selection later. But here is perhaps the single most important photograph related to Sandy Hook. Here you have the, the SWAT team or the crime scene team already on the scene. And if you look just above the front roof, you'll see there's a string of four windows in classroom 10, which has drawings of candles in the windows. But notice they're undamaged because after the event, they'd been shot out. In particular, the second window from the left would be completely destroyed. So we can tell here from this photograph that this was taken prior to the event. Before, we, holy smoke. So what are they doing there? Why is there a SWAT team there before? <laughs> exactly, Brian. Duh. Exactly. <laughs> and you can see the flag is at full mast. And if you come down the flag, you see just below it, leaning against a wall with his arms folded, patiently awaiting the arrival of his portable mortuary tent is none other but Wayne, than Wayne Carver. Oh. And, and you'll notice, although the crime has yet to be committed, there's crime scene tape already up. We originally thought this was taken the morning of the 14th, but it turns out to have been taken the evening of the 13th or the night before the event would wow. take place. What a damning photograph. Exactly. And here are other photographs we included. Look above, you see the windows before and the windows after, which leave no doubt when you go back from comparison, we're talking about a photograph taken before the event took place. In the bottom left, Brian, we have a photograph that appears to be the perps drilling holes in the aluminum window frame to simulate phony gunshots. Holy and look smokes. on the right, there are pink rods extending from those phony holes that are all 90 degrees perpendicular to the window pane and exactly parallel to one another. And, and many experts in marksmanship have observed that this is fantasy. This is not real shooting. This is something someone made up. It, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a scenario they concocted to try to make the story look remotely plausible. Yeah. Now, the school, it turns out, had actually already been abandoned by 2008. Well, look at how they describe it here, which will bring home the difference between the reality and the illusion. It had a great school rating of 10 out of 10. That means everything about this school was immaculate, that it was physically in perfect condition inside and out, that the classrooms were well equipped. The school was properly maintained. The teachers highly qualified. The principal and the administration excellent in their performance. According to this report, you'll notice, not only was it a public kindergarten through fourth grade school, but it had 626 students. That will become important as we proceed. Now, here's a photograph from the day of the event. Uh, 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 notice the handicapped parking areas are not properly demarcated with white paint and blue marking. There are no above-grade signs with white lettering against a blue background that bear the words, handicapped parking permit required, and violators will be fined which means that Sandy Hook Elementary School was non-Americans with Disability Act compliant. That day, CNN was mixing images from other schools with those from Sandy Hook. But, Brian, if it's non-DAADA compliant, it cannot have been legally opened that day. It wow. cannot have been legally opened that wow. day. 
and I'll make other points, but notice the vehicles here in the row, rows there are all parked facing the school. That's another anomaly. Here you can see it even more conspicuously. Notice the driving instructions coming in from Dickinson Drive. You're driving, you turn right, you curl around, and then you'd park facing away. But it's clear that in this instance, Brian, it was simpler just to bring the vehicles in in a single line, and they put them in two by two by two by two, figuring they they were only props. Nobody would even notice. How did you notice that? Like, I wouldn't have thought of that. Well, Brian, we've been working on this for (laughs) For five years. This has been collaborative research. We've had input. I probably had input from 100 different students. I appreciate, Jim, you broke open the Zapruder film of the Kennedy assassination, how that was altered. I first learned that from you years ago. That's how I discovered you. Well, Brian, thank you for that. But, you know, we have found so many different aspects of this. And notice this was a 28-degree ground temperature day. In other words, it was below freezing. That means for the school to have been open, it would have had to have been heated. But there's no steam or heat rising from the building, which appears to be because the boilers were so decrepit from non-use since the school was closed by 2008 that they were non-functional. So, you know, there's another proof. Just from this one photograph, you can establish that the whole thing was uh, an elaborate sham. Here's another. Where are the ambulances and the medical staff for the victims and the wounded? In fact, it's rather stunning, Brian, that there was no surge of EMTs into the building. There was no string of ambulances to rush the little bodies off to hospitals where they could be pronounced to be dead or alive. There was no medevac helicopter called. They did have some triage tarps on the ground, but no bodies were ever placed on them. In other words, the whole thing was from a medical point of view, a complete sham. Yeah. And, and get this, Sandy Hook parking lot w- was bereft of a feature you'll find in virtually every other parking lot, namely oil stains. And th- this is because the, the school had been abandoned so long ago it had been damaged by hurricanes. They had a huge flood in 2007, and it, it was cleaned by the effort. Get this that quite fascinating story. A comment published by Richard Plant on March 3rd, 2017. The distance by vehicle between Monroe and Newtown is roughly several miles, 10 maximum. In 2010, I was visiting a friend of mine who lived in Monroe at the time. I didn't know this when I was visiting him, but he had an evening appointment one night to go to Sandy Hook Elementary School to pick up a couple of student desks on the chief for his kids to use at home. When we arrived at Sandy Hook School, the parking lot appeared to not have been in use for years. Inside, the building showed signs of previous flooding and water stains were up to about several inches above the floor. There was mold everywhere due to this flooding. The caretaker of the building quickly showed us where to locate the desks, so we got them out and into my friend's vehicle. Further observations of mine indicate that this was a very, very neglected building. And the caretaker even indicated the building was condemned because it was full of asbestos everywhere. The building was a mess. And the fake news want us to believe there were 400 and something elementary children in classes on a fateful day in November 2012. That a guy named Adam Lanza shot and killed some of the children and adult teachers. Give me a break. I spent a lot of years in construction and renovation and there's just no way any authorities would allow young children into a building such as the one I saw in June of 2010. 
no wonder the grief of the towns the townspeople showed didn't appear to be genuine even on TV. As a contractor, you deal with a lot of people, uh, but the emotion of the witnesses and the parents just wasn't genuine. Well, those are my thoughts on the Sandy Hook story. And they thought they would get away with it. Thank God few of us are that stupid. Wow. You wonder why they picked an abandoned, abandoned school. You know, that could be found out so easily. Well, but no, they knew they could mess with the records, Brian, to try to yeah. conceal it. They had control yeah. of the state apparatus. They had control of the state police. They had control of the school board. These parties were all complicit in this event, Brian. They thought they had a lock on it. But again, reiterate, look at the difference between the Sandy Hook parking lot and one that's actually in use. Yeah, yeah, so true. Now, Wolfgang Halbig, uh, during an interview uh, I did with him, uh, gave us a wonderful update about the building inside and out. You can find this still online, Sandy Hook uh, update, exclusive interview with Wolfgang Halbig. This is one of the most important proofs that we have that the school clearly was not in use at the time and was in deplorable condition. Here's just one of the external. And let me, you know, mold, wigs, hanging wires, windows covered up, no buzzer. Let me just say, I traveled to Newtown with Wolfgang Halbig. We timed it to appear between before the Newtown School Board. Uh, we visited the, you know, several sites in Newtown. It's a very up-class community. For example, we visited a soccer field, Brian. Every blade of grass was carefully manicured. Oh, There's nice. no, yeah. no yeah. way an upscale community like this would allow a school to be in such deplorable condition. Yeah, yeah. Moreover, further proof that it wasn't compliant with ADA conditions, uh, which required that every entrance and every access be wheelchair accessible. Obviously, no wheelchair could navigate this wooden staircase. And there's even a piece of pipe stuck out where a little kid could lose their eye. You could pop out running into it. I mean, this is absurd. No responsible parent or teacher would allow this to happen. Inside, uh, all kinds of graffiti, uh, you know, there was stuff stored everywhere uh, in all kinds of manners, it completely decrepit. They had pulled out a commode in one of the restrooms when a plumber observed that it was, in fact, not ADA compliant. They just made a gesture to try to make it seem that way. Here's another case of more, uh, you know, equipment and storage. None of this is in a suitable condition for an operating school. So we put up videos here of the inside and outside. School looks as though it was used for storage, no organization apparent. These are material supplies just thrown into lots of rooms, strange findings, guitar case and garbage in one of the bathrooms, box on the floor in front of the sink. What was that for? Were the sinks too high for the kids and they were supposed to stand on a box? Corona beer carton on shelf. At 716, storage closet stacked with junk. 729, stuff piled up in front of exit door. 754, room full of boxes and storage containers. 848, dirty grout and tiles, mold. 927, damaged, dirty ceiling tiles. Perhaps the best of all comes from Stephanie Slowinski, who makes it unmistakably clear that it is a common practice for public school districts to use a decommissioned school as a storage yard for old furniture, which was the function of Sandy Hook. Oh. 
Well, her yeah. comment originated with the first of these videos. Her observations are fairly sub further substantiated by the second. Yes. Stephanie Slowinski ask any teacher, janitor, school administrator, etc. It is common practice for public school districts to use a decommissioned school as a storage yard for old furniture and items the district has little use for. This is exactly what this is. The fire marshal inspects each and every classroom every year, especially that close to a fire station where they were driving past it daily. The fire station, Brian Judd's having been a third of the mile away uh, at the end of Dickinson Drive, and there's no way in hell he would approve of all that large and bulky old furniture boarded up against the windows. What if a fire broke out in the hallway and a fire blocked the door? How would small kids escape? The windows are at ground level, of course. This story stank from the first five minutes. As a former public school teacher for 10 years, I have never seen a working school look like that especially not in elementary, in an affluent area. Fake, 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 as a day is long. <laughs> wow, pretty and clear. look at this, Brian. Look, there was furniture pushed up right against the windows, even the classroom tent. Yeah. Gosh, that's right. I mean, how Completely fraudulent. Crowded. How phony, how <laughs> fake can you get? Yeah. Gosh. And here is a, a, something published in the Newtown Bee that they had to have known years earlier. You'll notice in the, the photograph in the right, uh, they demolished the school. And as I already mentioned, they required everyone who participated in the demolition to sign lifetime gag orders that they would never speak of anything they saw or did not see in the elementary school building, including no blood on the floor, no pockmarks in the walls from bullets that weren't actually fired. But here in the Newtown B, they're talking about how they couldn't have renovated the school anyway. And, of course, we know it was abandoned by 2008 for just these reasons. So what they're publishing here is a part of the cover-up to make it look as though this is a, a belated realization. They couldn't have realized, uh, renovated the school anyway. Long before the first environmental contractors started reporting higher-than-expected levels of lead, asbestos, and PCBs in the construction debris at Sandy Oak School, a panel of town officials and residents in a subsequent referendum had already endorsed raising and replacing the aging elementary school building. Uh, this is just, uh, you know, beyond a belief. Uh, but we knew it was uh, in terrible condition. We knew it was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards. In fact, when Wolfgang and I appeared before the Newtown School Board, we were allowed three minutes to speak. We were told in advance that they would not answer any questions. But nevertheless, I raised the following question. I said, when were the parents informed that their children were attending school in a toxic waste dump? <laughs> Good question. And, of course, I got yeah. no response. Now, the iconic photograph by Shannon Hicks with, with sent around the world turns out to have been staged. Notice here, you can tell how cold a day it was. I mentioned 28 Fahrenheit, below freezing. Yeah, Look at the, the grass exhaust. grass is frozen, yeah. Yeah, grass is frozen. You can see the automobile exhaust here in this photograph. In the background, by the way, that's the firehouse right at the corner. This is, you can see on the sign, Dickinson Drive. So that's the road that leads down to the Sandy Hook School. Here's the photograph that was sent around the world. It's usually cropped, so you don't see the figure on the left casting the shadow, okay? 
and it's presented as though this were a policewoman leading the children to uh, safety from the uh, emergency uh, situation. Yeah. Here's the location where it was taken. There's the road up to Sandy Hook, uh, up to the fire station. Notice, Brian, by the way, that the road is so clogged that even if you wanted to bring emergency vehicles in, you couldn't have done it. But notice the location there for which this photograph was taken in relation to the parking lot. Now, here it turns out is a second photograph also taken by the Newtown B photographer. And now you begin to realize why that shadow in the former photograph was so significant, because there were parents there, parents there, Brian, and they're just casually looking on. They got their hands in their pocket, their arms folded. They aren't trying to rush their little kids off to home to get them to safety. They're just standing around, looking on. And, uh, you know, uh, William Shanley actually wrote to Shannon Hicks about these photographs, and in which I, I said, I believe that that woman in the foreground was actually Shannon Hicks. Mr. Fetzer's claimed that the photo you sent in your first email, which he also used as part of his recent post, is a photo of me taking photos at Sandy Hook Elementary School on December 14, 2012, is wrong, just like most of Mr. Fetzer's claims. I am not in that photo. I took that photo, and I took it while covering the evacuation of Sandy Hook Elementary School on Friday, December 14, 2012. So there we have Shannon Hicks' declaration. She took both photographs. Well, look, there are some anomalies here. The kids aren't in the same order. Notice the little boy circled in red is uh, toward the back and on the left on the first photograph, but now he's in the front. Another little boy who was closer up is now completely at the back. So if we look at it, we find what happened here. She rearranged the kids, Brian, to get a better shot. Oh, a better shot. <laughs> a better shot. That's just what you do if you're in yeah. public relations, right? If you're staging a photo, you want to get the best impression. And if you look at the bottom between the arrow for boy number one and boy number two, you'll notice there's some women there some mothers, some parents casually looking on. I mean, do they look concerned? Do they look in a state of anxiety? Uh, I refer to this as lounging at the massacre, Brian. Is this after they all got shot? This is when it's supposed to be. This is when they're supposed to be fleeing from a madman who's shooting up the school. And there they are lounging at the massacre. Now, here's what it would have looked like if if there had been uh, allegedly, according to Stephen Sedensky, who did the official report, there were 489 students in attendance that day. So if you subtract the 20 who were shot, you should have had 469. So instead of one of these strings of a, of a, you know, a parent leading the kids to safety, there should have been a massive number of strings to get up to 469. Uh, but look... The police specified the locations and places where the evacuation was taking place, but it just happens we have dash cam footage from those locations and times. And guess what? There's no evacuation taking place. Ah, Now, sometimes we're told, Brian, that you can't prove a negative, but that's simply false. You can prove there's no elephant in your living room, for example, by going to your living room and looking for signs of the presence of elephants. That's right. Finding none, you're entitled to infer that's because there is no elephant in your living room. Yeah. 
if you go to the location and times where the, the, the evacuation was supposed to be taking place, according to the official sources, and you find no evidence of an evacuation taking place, you're entitled to infer that's because no evacuation was taking place. The whole thing was yeah. a fraud, and yeah. we have, are proving it one way after another after another. We also have proof that nobody died. It was a FEMA drill, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Get this. Here, here we had some reports from the very day of the event. CBS, ABC, NBC admitted no assault rifle was used at Sandy Hook. Well, that's yeah. pretty stunning. Yeah. If no assault rifle was used at Sandy Hook, how were these kids shot from 3 to 11 times, yeah. as, as Wayne Carver uh, uh, alleged? Here are the two hand weapons, the Sig Sauer and the Glock, that were allegedly found in the school building, but not, not the Bushmaster, with which he's alleged to have done all the shooting. Oh. That's pretty stunning, isn't it, that the yeah. weapon that was supposed to have been used to do all the shooting wasn't even found in the building. Wow. Here's another. This was another report from CNN. Adam Lanza did not exist. <laughs> the Sandy Hook hoax. And here's a report about the shooter's mom killed in her sleep. We'll return to that. But the fact of the matter is there's no reason to think that Adam Lanza did it. This kid's supposed to be about six feet tall and weigh 112 to 120 pounds. He's supposed to have lugged about 30 pounds of gear in a, a bulletproof vest, all this ammunition into the building. Frankly, I don't believe he could have even carried all that equipment. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no evidence he had any experience with firearms, Brian. The ATF yep. checked the local shooting ranges and so forth and found no indications he had any shooting experience whatsoever. But notice, most interestingly, that he's reported here as having died on December 13th. That's the day of the rehearsal, Brian. There were several blunders oh. that were committed by participants <laughs> who became confused about the dates. Many of them put up donation websites already on the 13th, yeah. the day before the event officially took place. And oh. here we see even Adam Lanza's date of death was initially recorded as having happened on the 13th, making his feet and shooting 20 kids and six adults the following day all the more remarkable. <laughs> How, how do they, one question, how do they explain the 400 students that weren't killed? Like, where are they if um, the school's not being used? How do they explain all those students? Right, right. That's a completely excellent question. Where are all those kids? We should be tracking them down. Now, here's a photograph from inside the empty house they were using and furnishing to be uh, serve as the Adam Lanza residence. This is the bedroom of his mother, Nancy, according to the official account. Well, where she's supposed to have been shot on the bed with a twenty-two caliber rifle. Now, there's some red stuff there on the bed, Brian, but it doesn't look like blood to me. It looks like it might be raspberry jam. You notice yeah. uh, the forms there on the wooden chest. Uh, we find that in many of the photographs in the house because they were keeping records about how they were arranging the room. And Kelly Watt, who had those hundred hours of conversation with Noah Pos with Lenny Posner, to whom he sent the fabricated death certificate, runs her own commercial and home cleaning service, and with a keen eye, she spotted a blue moving pad beneath the leg of the bed. Look at that, Brian. Oh, wow. 
one of the signs we have that this was an empty house is there are no paintings, no drawings, no photographs on the walls. Yeah. The walls are bereft. And there's a noticeable dearth of personal items. I mean, they put down a few here and there. But this was a completely phony op. And we have 50 photographs to substantiate it, including yeah. that they, they have the Adam Lanza bedroom made up neat, but it's also made up messy. Needless to emphasize, Brian, it was either neat or it was messy when they got there, and they surely weren't turning it from messy to neat in order (laughs) to take a photograph because these are supposed to be forensic or bona fide investigation. Does make sense. One of the very disturbing signs was this this, uh, uh, neon sign, everyone must check in. This is a fellow named Gene Rosen who played a very curious role because uh, he maintains that a bus came by and dropped off as many as five students at his home, which is immediately adjacent to the firehouse. This is peculiar from the beginning because he's not the parent or custodian of any of those five children. So why would any bus driver drop off kids at a home where they were not the parent or custodian? He said he took them in and gave them orange juice and they played with stuffed toys and still they began telling him about the shooting. Well, it turns out this guy actually is a, has a Screen Actors Card membership and that he's performed many events on behalf of FEMA going oh, around gosh. the country and talking about <laughs> gun control. Believe That's the motive. That's so the motive for the, this. We got the mysterious sign. Uh, we had porta-potties already in place. You can see there. We thought that was quite remarkable. Uh, yeah. I spoke to an experienced New York detective and asked if he'd ever heard of porta-potties. <laughs> At a crime scene. And he thought the idea was simply ridiculous. Uh, we wow. had a, at the firehouse, there was a big crowd, and it was walking in a circle out of one door and back into another. And inside the firehouse, it was bottled water, as you see here, and lots of pizza cartons. You see people with their bottles of water all over the place yeah, this yeah. day, Brian. Yeah. And uh, many there with name tags on lanyards. Uh, All of this, of course, turns out to make excellent case sense when you understand what was going on. Here are more name tags on lanyard, more name tags on lanyard. And here's a parent bringing a child to the event. But, Brian, no parent would bring a child to the scene of a child shooting massacre. (laughs) Of course not. It's because this, this was the rehearsal the day before, and they were treating it as a festive occasion. It's standard for FEMA drills, yeah. by the way, that they have color-coded identification badges that people wear on lanyards, which explains why so many were wearing them. And here you see a combination, you know, of many who are wearing those name tags, uh, color-coded and so forth for their participation. We have the manual, Brian. We have the manual for the exercise at Sandy Hook. Uh, It's going to be conducted on the 13th. It's going to end on the 14th, where it'll be evaluated as a real-time event. Notice it says at the end of the first paragraph, everyone must sign in, which explains the sign. In fact, Wolfgang Halbig was very good at getting testimony under oath, including from Patricia LaLorda, who was the first select man of Newtown. That's a position equivalent to the mayor, Brian. And okay. under oath, when she was pressed as to where the sign had come from, she denied that the city had placed it there. And when they picked up and continued the questioning after a break, she acknowledged she thought it had put there by a DHS, Department of Homeland Security. 
But what would Homeland Security have been doing there if it had been a real event? They would have had no role. So she was essentially acknowledging there in her sworn testimony under oath that it was an exercise. And bear in mind, uh, uh, Brian, not only must everyone check in, but refreshments and restrooms are a standard part of FEMA exercises, and therefore they had the porta-potties in place and the pizza and the bottled water at the firehouse. I see. It all fits together once you understand. It turns out there was another exercise going on elsewhere in Connecticut on the same day, but this had nothing to do with the Sandy Hook event. They may have done it so they could be dismissive and claim, oh, yeah, well, you must be talking about the event that was taking uh, uh, place elsewhere in Connecticut. Just as they created a second uh, birth certificate for Obama in Kenya, that was a clearly fabricated birth certificate. So they could say if someone erased the birth certificate in Kenya, which actually has his footprint and looks completely legit, Oh, but that's already been debunked, equivocating on which birth certificate, just as they would equivocate here on which FEMA drill we're talking about. Get this, Paul Preston from Los Angeles, he's a superintendent of schools himself. He has supervised uh, drills of this kind, and he was so concerned about what he saw that he reached out to his contacts in the Obama Department of Education. Uh, Let's recount what he report. I have a lot of sources in regard to what's going on with the president and the administration and so on. And every one of my sources said it was a false flag, Paul Preston. Sophia Smallstorm, who produced and directed the documentary Unraveling Sandy Hook, which many regard as the best video study of the Sandy Hook event, recently interviewed a Los Angeles school expert, Paul Preston, about Sandy Hook and his knowledge of what had transpired. Governor Malloy had held a press conference that day explaining that he and the lieutenant governor had been spoken to that something like this might happen, which raised the question, what something like this did he mean? Had he been told a school shooting massacre would take place or a drill that would be presented as a real event, which appears to be what took place? Remarkably, we now have confirmation from an unexpected source Paul Preston obtained information from officials in the U.S. Department of Education of the Barack Obama administration who confirmed to him on the basis of their own personal knowledge that it had been a drill, that no children had been killed, and that it had been done to promote gun control. Wow, that's the mode of gun control. I'd say it's the international Jews behind it in the big picture want to take away our guns. Brian coming right from the Obama Department of Education. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. 
That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Yeah. They botched the entry into the school. It's rather fascinating, Brian. They, th- they claim that Adam Lonza came up to the door and, uh, and had to shoot his way in. See that big hole in the plate glass window? Uh, that that's supposed to be the way yeah. in which Adam Lonza. Remember, he's six feet. Yeah, he, he weighs maybe 120 pounds max. He's carrying 30 pounds of equipment, including these weapons, right? And he's supposed to have made his way through that opening in the glass. Huh. Here's from the inside. Yeah. And what's striking about on the inside, Brian, is there's no sign that anyone came in through the window. Notice the furniture is right in place. That's true. There's, yeah, there's glass on the floor. There are no signs that. Uh, that anyone has crushed the glass into the ground. There's a magazine yeah. rack here, which is significant because in the next photograph we'll see that a slug was in the back of the magazine rack. Now, mind you, he was supposed to have had this uh, Bushmaster. It doesn't fire slugs like this, Brian. This is the sort of thing you might get from a shotgun. So yeah. then the whole story falls apart again and again. Great. Get this, Wolfgang Halbig, who's been so persevering. <laughs> Uh, 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 was set in 11,000 pages of the Sandy Hook script and has been able to establish that the Connecticut State Police gave false affidavits. Private investigation wow. makes key, Connecticut Keystone cops look foolish. Affidavits swear to the impossible. Wow. Uh, it, it, what they claimed was that they had entered through that same opening in the in the window. We had two videos here. And the hole in the crime scene photograph below is considerably enlarged from the early video footage, which was much smaller. Since no one was filming that hole before it was created officially during the entry by Adam Lanza, why, why is it so much larger in the crime scene photograph? Wolfgang observes that no trained officer would enter through a broken window without breaking it out completely with his metal baton. The difference between the official photo below and its original appearance above in the video appears to be proof of the destruction of evidence. And it has to have been done by the Connecticut State Police. So look here, you have the window, right? And now it's even larger than before. We can go back actually to what I showed. Notice there it is uh, and how the size it looks. And it appears to have been enlarged to the right. No trained law enforcement officer would have entered that window without first breaking it out using his baton when you have so many sworn law enforcement willfully and knowingly lying and sworn affidavits regarding the Sandy Hook shooting, it would appear incumbent upon the governor of Connecticut and the Connecticut state attorney to open an investigation of the conduct of the investigating authorities. Now, what Wolfgang noticed is he discovered between 12 and 16 signed affidavit by the Connecticut state police who claimed they came in through this opening. It's completely absurd. And here you can see it's even larger here. Notice, I mean, it's just stunning. What, what Wolfgang observes is that the Three Stooges would have done better because Curly wow. would have come in and gone around to open the door for, for Moe and Joe. Yeah. I mean, this is completely Gosh. absurd. You run the risk of cutting your uniform on the glass. And one thing law enforcement take pride in is their uniform, Brian. This is simply yeah. absurd sure. and indefensible. And, of course, as I've already explained, they fake the kids using photos of older children. Get this. This is a piece by Lenny Posner in which he was attacking uh, 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 James Tracy. Uh, Our grief denied the twisted cruelty of Sandy Hook hoaxers. And here you get photographs of the kids, right? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, well, here are some of Noah, who is a very photogenic little boy. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. it appears that he's in the upper right, he's wearing a wig. The question becomes, if this is a wig, why is he wearing it in so many pictures with different lengths at different ages? This is all very bizarre. Here, of course, I remind you, this is the same guy who sent us our, the fabricated death certificate. If, if his son had actually died, he would have been able to send a real one, which implies, yeah. of course, his son did not die. It, he's a most unusual little boy, too, Brian, because not only did he die officially on 14 December 2012, but again on 16 December 2014 in Pakistan, where his photograph appears among those of kids who were allegedly shot in a shooting at a school oh. there. Oh. And look at this. I mean, uh, the Pakistan Taliban boy is identical to the Facebook Noah Posner, the same slightly tilted head, the same smile, the same jacket collar, and identical buttonhole. I mean, this is completely ridiculous. BBC finally had to admit that the Peshawar victim photo is the alleged Sandy Hook victim, Noah Posner. Yesterday, we had two reports about the photo of Noah Posner, who was reportedly killed at Sandy Hook, being circulated as a victim in the recent Taliban attack in Pakistan. Although the American mainstream media is not covering the story and seemingly not interested in doing so, the BBC did acknowledge the story with a brief footnote in an article about a child's bloody shoe, which is also found to be misrepresentative of the attack. The bloody shoe photo was taken at another place in time. Unbelievable. Here's what the BBC had to say about Noah Posner's photo. Another picture has been circulating online of victims of the Peshawar massacre, but the montage of images includes a photo of a young boy, Noah Posner, who died in the Sandy Hook massacre in the United States in 2012. Or did he? You know, this was sent by uh, to Kelly by over 150 people in two in two days. She's going to make some o overseas phone calls. She was in contact with 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 uh, uh, Len Posner, who's wanting to know what's going on here, as though he had no idea. But here is part of our comparison between the the two. Uh, we have a lot of photographs to work with, Brian. Uh, in comparison of the young Noah with his older stepbrother, Michael Vabner, Dr. Eowyn cropped photos of the two and focused on their ears. Here is a side-by-side -side comparison. At first, Noah's left ear seemed to have a smaller lobe than Michael's, but a picture of Noah's right ear reveals a lobe like Michael's. Your conclusion, they have the same ears. If Noah uh, and yeah. Michael have the same yeah. ears and yours are as distinctive as fingerprints, we have a proof that Noah and Michael are one and the same that is as powerful fingerprints, which, of course, are frequently introduced in courts of law. Yeah. And here we did a comparison of their eyes. And guess what? They have the same eyes. So they have the same ears. They have the same eyes. Larry Revere has done brilliant research proving the figure known as Doorman standing in the doorway of the Texas School Book Depository was, in fact, Lee Oswald as Harold Weisberg, Jim Garrison, and other serious students of JFKM believe. So I was sure he could help yeah. resolve this issue by superposition. Yeah. I want to interject there. You really convinced me about the, the doorman and how they superimposed, like Bill Lovelady's head over Lee Harvey Oswald's head. They, they hit Jack Ruby by putting a woman holding a boy in front of him. Yep, yep, yep. It's brilliant work. Yeah. It is fascinating stuff, Larry. So I asked Larry if he could do a superposition here, and this is the one he presented, which, of course, is devastating. 
And that's why it's being taken down again and again and why I'm republishing it again and again, including here, of course, where it's so absolutely central, as in my opinion, the decisive proof of how they fake the kids. Let's see if YouTube restricts this video. The last video you and I did on Vegas, they put the highest restriction on it. People have to touch this blue bar saying the community warns against this video. You can proceed if you want to because they were really threatened by your Vegas video. See what they do with this one. Fascinating, Brian. Fascinating. Yeah. Even the FBI reported no deaths in Newtown in 2012. Get this for the consolidated crime statistics in the United States for 2012. When you intersect Newtown with murder and non-negligent manslaughter, Brian, that's the third column. The number that shows up is zero. A zero. You see the intersection? Wow, there it is. Zero, Newtown yeah. murder and non-negligent manslaughter. Yeah. So this zero. is from the FBI. Uh, in crime in Connecticut, you can see there are uh, further details as they break down. But yeah. for 2012 Connecticut total, for, for the age group of under 10, notice in the very first column, the number is zero. Zero. Yep. Zero. zero. Here you have uh, now a, a, a note that they somehow tucked away to try to cover up what was going on here. See, murder, footnote number three, and now the number has leaped up to 27. Includes 27 victims of Newtown mass shooting. But that yeah. just appears to be a subterfuge. That appears to be fake news because we already know nobody died there. It was a FEMA drill. Yeah, we, no one died at Sandy Hook, I believe it. We yeah. even have confirmation from the Obama Department of Education itself. And here was a list. This is not. This is supposed to make you think you've got the equivalent of death certificates. This is a list of the kids who are supposed to have died. And if we went back, and looked at the photograph that, that Wolfgang had presented of eight of the girls with their photographs as they were when they were six years old. You'll compare them with the list, and you'll find these are eight of the girls that are alleged to be dead, except they're very much alive. Obama, yeah, of course, yeah. uh, uh, didn't hesitate in, in signing no less than 23 executive orders to constrain our access to weapons under the Second Amendment. Wow. Uh, already on uh, uh, the 16th of January. That's just a month wow. and two days later, Brian. He wasn't going to miss the opportunity. He was going to sign those executive orders. That was orders. the purpose of it, yeah. That was the whole purpose. So it's coming to fruition yeah. here. And get this now on my blog. Uh, you can get comments and uh, information important from diverse sources, anonymous on June 22nd, 2017 at 8.56 p.m. blog. On November 2012 on the PBS show Greater Boston, hosted then by Emily Rooney, daughter of Andy. As a guest, they had the mayor of Boston, Thomas Menino. The topic was gun control, and Menino essentially bragged that he was good friends with then-Vice President Joe Biden, who had called him and told Menino, that by January of 2013, gun control in the U.S. would be a done deal. Rudy asked how or what could change for legislation to pass so quickly. Menino wouldn't say, but that Biden assured him something would happen to bring it about. Wow. And, and now we know. So this was, in fact, a Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Eric Holder, Daniel Malloy, Connecticut State Police, Newtown School Board, fake family event. Yeah. 
and they've sought to exploit it. Sandy Hook lawsuit, Newtown family seek better security. But this didn't occur until way after. Notice this is published on January 13th. Now, normally, in the wake of an event like this, you're going to have lawsuits filed right and left in the immediate aftermath for the failure of security on the, uh, at the school. And in fact, when he was finally questioned under oath, the man who was maintaining the security system at, at Sandy Hook, which had originally been announced to have been recently upgraded shortly before the attack in 2012, acknowledged it had not been upgraded since 2007, which of course is consistent with our finding that the school was actually closed in 2008. And, and therefore, of course, there would have been no further upgrading. Uh, believe it or not, the, the Newtown School Board received a, a grant of $50 million to build a new school at Sandy Hook. Wow. Now, Brian, I looked into it, and the average cost across country for a kindergarten through fourth grade school is only seven. So they got seven times $7 million to, to so build who's a who's profiting new from this? Who benefits? So, <laughs> so what's this going to be, the Taj Mahal of elementary schools? Yeah. But not only did they get $50 million, uh, the parents – and families of those who allegedly died have split between 27 and $130 million and has been donated by sympathetic but gullible Americans. So you take that and divide it between the 26 families, and that's in excess of a million dollars apiece, Brian. It can be be very profitable to to play a crisis actor in a a federally sponsored event. That's very significant. It shows a motive. My gosh. Absolutely, uh, over and beyond. Uh, you see, I think part of this was that uh, these people were true believers in gun control, and they wanted to show what could what could happen if we don't control the use of guns. Why? Yeah. Somebody could go berserk and come into an elementary yeah. school and shoot up a bunch of kids. Oh, maybe we should show the public what could happen if we don't control guns. Yeah by staging, fabricating the event, and, oh, by the way, you're going to make a lot of money doing it. Gosh. So here we have a $775,000 federal grant to Newtown. Uh, uh, Senators Blumenthal and Murphy of Connecticut and uh, Representative Elizabeth Esty announced a $775,914 grant from the Department of Justice Office of Victims of Crime to Victims and Their Families first responders and members of the Newtown community in the wake of the shooting. Now, notice that's all over and beyond the donation, over and beyond the donations. Gosh. And, in fact, there was another, like, two and a half million that was contributed for the police officers for their pain and suffering, the trauma (laughs) of serving as extras on the set at Sandy Hook, Brian. Gosh. So Sandy Hook Commission, they formed a commission plans to ban guns that can fire more than 10 rounds without re- reloading. Whether or not this law would stand the test of constitutionality is not for this commission to decide. They also introduced a number of very bizarre mental health programs at an age where they've never heretofore been supposed to be appropriate, which is part of what they're attempting to do to turn physicians into spies on their clients, on their patients, by, by determining whether or not they own guns so they can report them to the government for a potential gun grab by identifying who precisely owns guns, which yeah. is an obvious corruption of the doctor-patient relationship. 
It turns out in the in, in the first edition of the book, which was banned, I included an appendix D on murder and homicide rates before and after gun bans by John Lott, who happens to be an expert in the area. Every place that has banned guns has seen murder rates goes up. You cannot point to one place where murder rates have fallen, whether it's Chicago or D.C. or even island nations such as England, Jamaica, or Ireland. An example of homicide rates before and after a ban, take the case of the handgun ban in England and Wales in January 1997. After the ban, clearly homicide rates bounced around over time, but there's only one year, 2010, when the homicide rate is lower than it was in 1996. The immediate effect was a 50% increase in homicide rates. The homicide rate only began falling when there was a large increase in the number of bobbies on the street. Yeah. And this is well established. And think about it, Brian. Isn't it obvious that when you ban guns, that means a whole area is a gun-free zone for the criminals to exploit because they're not going to give up their guns. Of course. Uh, that, the only parties who are going to give up their guns are law-abiding citizens, Brian. Yeah. And that means it's a field day for the criminals. It, the NRA got it right a long time ago. Yeah. When they, they observed when guns are banned, only criminals. When guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns. Yeah, I mean, and if a lot of people twice. have guns, people think twice about committing crimes. If anyone could have a gun, could shoot back at them. That's course. absolutely right. Yeah. And there's yeah. case after case, and many of them go unreported, where because a civilian was concealed carry and was able to stop a criminal in the commission of an offense, but the mainstream is pushing the gun control agenda, yeah. so you don't hear those reports. Well, I didn't realize that, so they're hiding that. When someone's a hero and they stop a crime. That's right. Uh, I I, uh, was informed of a study in in a community, two different communities, and one, uh, uh, guns were banned, and the other, everyone was required to have a gun. And it turned out the crime rate where everyone was required to have a gun dropped to virtually zero. Yeah, like Switzerland's like that. And in the other community, it skyrocketed. There you go. I mean... We've got to repeat this. We've got to repeat that. NRA had it right. You're right. NRA has had it right all along. I've encouraged the NRA to get involved in Sandy Hook, but I think they feel it's just too controversial to take a stand. They're not confident about the evidence. They're probably too hesitant, yeah. The media has uh, published disinformation from the scratch. I published a lot about it. On January 7, 2016, proof the New York Times publishes Sandy Hook disinformation and propaganda in an astonishing example of the duplicity of the American media, the New York Times, which is our nation's newspaper of record, which means that it records the official history of the United States, has published a transparent demonstration of its duplicity and mendacity by publishing an article about the firing of Florida Atlantic University professor James Tracy, which excludes what he himself has said about his case and why the firing was legally unjustifiable and morally wrong. The article, Florida professor who cast doubt on mass shooting is fired, the New York Times, 6 January 2016, by Lizette Alvarez, which builds the case for Tracy having harassed the Posners when the truth was precisely the opposite, was so sloppily done that the paper has had to publish a clarification in fine print at the end for reporting that Lenny Posner had been fired rather than James Tracy. The author embeds a link to the Sandy Hook hoax Facebook page where Tracy lays out why his actions have been directed at protecting the public interest, which the Times simply ignores. I mean, think about it. He was trying to protect the public from being scammed. Yeah. But by, uh, you know, uh, 
this is a, a case of uh, uh, where I'm convinced Lenny Posner has been taking such an active role because he's afraid that if the uh, hoax becomes widely known, he not only may have to return the more than a million dollars yeah. he's made off of it, yeah. but might even be prosecuted for, for fraud or theft sure. by deception, Brian. Theft by deception. Which is why these newspapers are, in fact, complicit as accessories after the fact of theft by deception. The Washington Post joins the, San, joins the Sandy Hook propaganda game. The Washington Post has now joined forces with the New York Times in the publication of additional propaganda and disinformation about Sandy Hook. Even the title of the article reeks of begging the question by taking for granted that someone had actually died at Sandy Hook and by implying that death threats had been sent to his father by those who believe it was an elaborate hoax where the Post is simply taking the word of a man who's fabricated a death certificate for his purported son. The father of a boy killed at Sandy Hook gets death threats from people who say the shooting was a hoax. <laughs> Frankly, Wolfgang has received death threats for seeking to expose it, and so have I, yeah. Brian. So this really? is complete nonsense. Lenny yeah. hasn't received any death threats. He's making that up. Yeah. This is like uh, the Hillary people going after Trump for Russian collusion when there was none. <laughs> When the Russian hacking meme was made out by Robby Book and John Podesta within 24 hours of her concession speech in order to deflect attention from the incompetent campaign they had run, from the contents of the WikiLeaks revelation, which led right to yeah. Pizzagate, where John Podesta is a pedophile in chief, and from the collusion with Russia by Hillary Clinton herself, which led to the sale of 20% of U.S. uranium right. to, to Russia by way of Uranium One, a Canadian company, Brian. It's so offensive and so disgusting, and yet yeah. we've heard nothing nonstop for more than a year now about Russian hacking. Which I know. It's not. like they project their own faults on Trump. Like It's like a Jewish deception. They project their faults on their victim. I see this as a Jewish design. It's completely disgusting. Here's another. The Chronicle of Higher Education buckles to the official account of Sandy Hook. It's bad enough when the New York Times and the Washington Post publish propaganda disinformation about Sandy Hook. But now the Chronicle of Higher Education has published one of the most disgraceful and contemptible articles I've encountered in my entire life. Authored by one Kevin Carey, it has no redeeming merit. Even in relation to issues of academic freedom, it reflects a completely corrupt and grossly unethical conception. Here are some extracts in my reply where you can find the text in full online. As of this date and time, the Chronicle is yet to publish my response. And I point this out in the beginning. I cited from this article where they claimed while it was technically true that it was essentially false that he was fired for not making out forms that the real reason was he embarrassed the university by exposing the Sandy Hook hoax. Here's another of my blogs that's been taken down by the, the mysterious entity, and I suggest it may be someone who was actually complicit in the offense. Uh, Yahoo News and Bill Moyers joined the Sandy Hook shill game. This was just published on December 18, 2017. Brian. Bill Moyers. Yeah, let's talk about him. Yahoo News and Bill Moyers have joined the Sandy Hook shell game. Yahoo News published an attack upon Donald Trump for hosting an event at the White House that featured NRA Vice President Wayne LaPierre on the fifth observance of the second day of the FEMA drill at Sandy Hook in Newtown, Connecticut which was exposed by the 13 contributors to Nobody Died at Sandy Hook 2015. 
bam, less than a month after it had been placed on sale by Amazon.com, I released it to the public for free as a PDF. Because the hoax has long since been established as a two-day FEMA drill, where we even have the manual for the two-day event with a rehearsal on the 13th going live on the 14th. I included the manual as Appendix A in the book, which is now in its second edition. I thought I would share some of our findings with the readers of Yahoo News, but each time I posted a comment, it disappeared in less than five minutes. Isn't that mm-hmm. disgusting? I just want to comment on Bill Morris. You know, his role, he was close to Vice President Lyndon Johnson just before the Kennedy assassination. You know about his role? Speak, speak to me. Well, he's, uh, he's suspected being part of the Kennedy assassination. Someone was complaining about the parade route for Pre- President Kennedy in Dallas, and he was sent to calm this person down. His whole career was linked to Vice President Johnson. So yeah. as soon as Johnson becomes president, Bill Moyers you know, got a huge promotion within the Johnson administration. So he, he's suspected of being involved in President Kennedy's assassination. There's, there's essays on this, and you can look this up on YouTube. Have you ever heard that about Bill Moyers? Like he's actually suspected of being part of the Kennedy assassination. No, but uh, yeah, I, I believe it. I do believe yeah, he's it. He's clo- very close to Lyndon Johnson, like really attached to him. So, okay. Here are the comments that I posted, Brian, in succession that they deleted. What an absurdity. We had discovered they faked the kids out of photographs of older children. See, exposing the Sandy Hook charade, the deep state strikes back, where they have been taking down the crucial images that prove the case. Here's a link. Famous, the famous photograph was staged. They furnished an empty house to serve as the Adam Lonza home. The SWAT team was there the night before. Check it out right here. Uh, that was taken down within five minutes. I put up another because the article was about Nicole Hockley having lost a child. And so I, I posted a second. Nicole Hockley's child was made up out of photographs of older kids when they were younger. Uh, uh, she, uh, like the other 19 dead kids, you can't kill a fiction. It's embarrassing that Yahoo News won't print the truth about Sandy Hook. I published a book about it, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook 2015, which you can download for free as a PDF. To see how they fake the kids, check out my latest blog about Sandy Hook Act. And this is exposing the Sandy Hook uh, charade, the deep straight sides back. And they took that one down too, so I published a third. Surely it falls within Yahoo's guidelines to report there are a great many reasons to question the authenticity of the Sandy Hook event including that the school was closed by 2008 and that there were no children there. I published a book about it with 13 contributors, including six current or retired college professors who do their homework. You can download it by, uh, by uh, uh, entering the title, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, uh, on your browser. I released it for free as a PDF after Amazon.com banned it. We have proof that they fabricated the kids out of photographs of older children uh, when they were younger. See, for example, how we know that Noah Posner was a fiction made up out of photos of his older stepbrother, Michael Vabner, as my latest blog on Sandy Hook. And that appears to be why they've been targeting that. So uh, especially, Brian, we got a lot of attention, except, of course, they took down that comment, too. Wow. 
Now, here's why we're talking about it today. The police have released their after-action report on the response to Sandy Hook. You'll recall the Hartford Courant was observing that five years later, they still have not done this. Well, they did it today. <clears throat> Connecticut State Police have released a 74-page report assessing the agency's response to the 2012 massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School, which says the response was handled effectively. Oh, so it happened. <laughs> and the after-action report was released Friday afternoon. That's today. Police have not wow. explained why it's taken five years since the shooting to complete the review. Gosh. They handled it effectively, Brian, as you could see from the review we've just been conducting. So where do we stand? Well, if social media are uh, uh, undergoing, you know, attacks due to fake Sandy Hook copyright complaints, uh, this is really unbelievable. Uh, my opinion on the Sandy Hook family falsely flagging people free speech down, and my opinions on their now-documented online trolling using a company they formed to commit these acts. Uh, I, I mean, it's just outrageous what's been going on. And, of course, I am now the principal target. They're hitting again and again and again. And how's this for the ultimate irony? Daniel Malloy, the governor, received a Profile and Courage Award from JFK's grandson. I mean, to me, wow. this caps it all, Brian. I mean, this oh, is no. so embarrassing. God, why I mean, are they bringing JFK's? This is um, uh, his, his daughter's son. Right, right, right. Well, they maintain the Profile and Courage Award for particularly deserving Americans who have performed great acts of courage. But notice, I mean, this guy was complicit in the Sandy Hook hoax. And he more or less admitted it during his press conference where he said that they had been spoken to, he and the lieutenant governor. Uh, Wolfgang encountered him, by the way, in his office and asked him by whom he was spoken to, and the, the governor denied even making the statement. I mean, that's a man wow. who deserves a reward for his moral courage and, yeah. and integrity and, and commitment to government. Now, I'm uh, wondering here if they're trying to compromise JFK's grandson to make him look bad. It's kind of a shame that they would bring him into this. Well, it it is, Brian. It, it is most unfortunate. Yeah. That they, but they want to use all the propagandistic techniques at their disposal. And what could be better than giving him a, a, a profile and courage award that ties him in even with JFK, the most revered president of the history of the yeah. United States? Yeah. So are you, are, you, are you the main authority on Sandy Hook, like the main person in the world that's specializing on this, that they're, they're after? They're always taking down your posts. Well, I'm certainly among those, if not the one of the few. I would yeah. put James Tracy and Wolfgang Halbig in the same category. And there are others who have done a massive amount of, of research, like a Dr. Eowyn, who maintains a Fellowship of the Minds blog. For example, Brian, before I published... Nobody died at Sandy Hook. Dr. Ewan had already published 80 articles about Sandy Hook. I myself had published 30 articles about Sandy Hook. Wow. But when you get right down to it, I would say that, uh, that James Tracy and, uh, and uh, Wolfgang Halbig and I are uh, probably the, the principal uh, chroniclers and coordinators and you know, supporters of research on Sandy Hook uh, I publish blogs by many different people. So one of my roles is to be a, a catalyst to bring about, you know, additional research on Sandy Hook. And as we've discovered here, 
it can be very surprising, such as the comment about the radio show in Boston where the mayor was explaining that Joe Biden was boasting that gun control would be a done deal by January of 2013. Wow. I really admire your courage. Like, uh, what have you taken the most flack from of all the things you've studied, like the Kennedy assassination? You know, where, where do you get the most resistance or attack from? Oh, Sandy, Sandy Hook by far. Really? Oh, sure. It, it exposes the government hoax. Now, now, just to give you a couple of odd illustrations, when I did research on the plane crash that took out Senator Paul Wellstone, his wife, his daughter, three of yeah, his I remember that. two Gosh. pilots. Uh, yeah. They put up a website just to attack me on uh, on Wellstone. And it wound up having some 2,000 uh, comments, you know, 99% attacking me. It was ridiculous because the evidence is simply overwhelming. If anyone wants a I'm surprised about, they would attack you so much um, over that. Gosh. This was the general public attacking or these trolls oh, that no. they hired? Oh, no. This the is a troll's website. Are... Oh, sure. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, here's another illustration. Yeah. Uh, when uh, I founded Scholars for 9-11 Truth, as you know, in, in December yeah. 2015. Yeah. Well, when I organized the Vancouver hearings in June of 2016, yeah. I, I published a five-star review of Judy Wood's book, Where Do the Towers Go, on Amazon.com. And I explained in passing that, you know, I thought it was the best collection of photographs, documents, studies, you know, uh, uh, analyses we had available. But then I did not believe she had ruled out this, the use of mini or micro nukes. Uh, and, and that drew, to my astonishment, Several thousand comments, the overwhelming majority were simply attacking me. It, it, it was one of numerous signs I had that Judy wasn't really a scientist, but that she was the mystical leader of a cult, that they have a sacred text, this book, Where Do the, Did the Towers Go? Yeah. A mystical leader. They have a praetorian guard consisting of several key players, one Thomas Potter, who puts out attacks on a lot of people, another guy, Andrew Johnson from the U.K., uh, and, and they go after anyone who who violates the uh, the dogmas of the cult. Now, yeah. when I returned from the Vancouver hearings, there had been a tremendous amount of additional evidence presented uh, about how it had been done using mini or micro nukes, including the U.S. geological dust sample studies from 35 locations in Manhattan that provided proof that the elements there would only have been present in their quantity and correlation had this been a nuclear event. So when I got back and discovered these thousands of attacks of my review, I decided to revise the review. And since Judy was uh, neglecting the U.S. Geological Survey's dust studies, I specifically enumerated the elements they'd found, barium, strontium, lithium, lanthanum, tritium, and so forth, some of which only exist in radioactive form, by the way, Brian. Wow, yeah. And pointed out yeah. that she was being unscientific because scientific reasoning must be based upon all of the available evidence. And I downgraded yeah. my review from a five-star to a three. And if you were to go to my review today, Brian, you'd find there are over 7,500 attacks on my review. Really? This is not on the book. This is on my review. It's a shame that it's so divisive. Like Israel, we know. I'm sure Israel did 9/11. It's the, the details people get argue about. Well, it was, we it should understand complicity. the big picture. It was complicity between 
uh, the CIA, the neocons in the Department of Defense, yeah. most of whom are dual U.S.-Israeli citizens and the yeah. Mossad. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. we have many other indications that it was a nuclear event. I mean, there was a, yeah. you know, a massive steel assemblage was blown over some hundreds of feet into the Winter Garden. That couldn't have happened if there had been any kind of collapse or if it had been conventional explosives. The building's blowing apart in every direction from the top down. Uh, that means it wasn't a collapse and it wasn't conventional explosives. The buildings yeah. are being converted into millions of cubic yards of very fine dust. Uh, that's another sign when it's over. There's no pile of debris in the footprint. And, Brian, this makes it very different than what happened to Building 7, which actually was a classic controlled demolition. All the floors come down at the same time. They yeah. The building isn't being converted into dust. Uh, yeah. It's not being blown apart from the top down. Uh, and when it's over, there's a stack of debris equal to 12% of the height of the original 47 floors or five and a half floors. If, if you use that standard, which we know from experience with controlled demolitions on the 110 floor or twin towers, there should have been 13 and a half or 14 floors of debris, but there's nothing in their footprint. And another point that has been made by Don Fox, who's really done brilliant work on the use of nukes on 9-11, is that the, 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 the turning materials into dust is a sign of the use of nuclear weapons, and in particular, very, very fine particles that were distributed over 10 or more states around the United States, Brian. So there's really no doubt about it. But Judy yeah. Wood, and this is another sign that she's playing uh, the role of a limited hangout, won't even talk about who is responsible and why. Yeah, that's, well, a, that's a real problem. Yeah, like It is important to know scientifically what actually happened. It's a shame there's divisiveness. Well, she won't talk about who did it and why then. Yeah, it's like she's a high-level shill in a way. And neither will architects sure. and engineers led by Richard Gage. They won't talk about who yeah, was I've responsible seen them here and too. why. So it's all... Yeah. Uh, all they're like gatekeepers in a way. I mean, they, they yeah. serve a purpose of raising awareness, but they're high-level gatekeepers. Maybe That's they're exactly, just scared, yeah. You've got exactly, exactly right, Brian. They're high-level gatekeepers. So I would encourage any who are stimulated by our conversation here to go back and take a look at my interview with you, my two-hour overview about yeah. 9-11. That's very fascinating to me that you're telling me they put constraints about my discussion of Las Vegas. That's fascinating. Yeah, YouTube, it's the highest restriction, they say. You know, the YouTube community deems this as offensive. You can press this button if you want to go further. So they, they don't allow comments. They deleted the comments. They don't allow sharing. But they don't delete the video. They don't go that far. They don't give me a strike for it. Well, I'm very surprised that they haven't actually taken that additional measure. Well, let's see how this fares, Brian. I'm very glad to yeah. have this opportunity. And on this day when the Connecticut State Police are releasing their after-action uh, report and assuring us that everything was done properly and efficiently. <laughs> well, I admire your bravery, Jim. I mean, you're getting this stuff out here. You're one of the rare professors. So welcome back on the show. Whenever you got anything, you're, you're welcome back. I really appreciate this. You got it, Brian. Next time, let's talk about Charlottesville and some late developments about Las Vegas. I That's look right. I look forward to it, my friend. Very good. Thanks, Jim. If you like the content, please like the video and please subscribe. And due to YouTube's demonetization efforts, please support me on PayPal. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. 
Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com.